21. The story of Jesus appearing to Peter, it is one of my favorite stories in all the gospel. It's an incredible scene. You can follow along the sermon in your version event. Fill in the blanks. They are back. I'm not going to be easy on you like Rick is and Pastor Louise and everybody. It's going to be a little harder for you this week, so you're going to have to pay attention. And so as we gather and think about these things and talk about the forgiving voice of Jesus, let's go to the Lord in prayer, setting ourselves. Gracious God, may the words that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you. May they speak about the forgiving voice of Jesus today in a powerful way, a voice that we all need to hear, a voice that calls us to breakfast, a voice that asks us, do we really love Jesus and how much? A voice that calls out and forgives. Lord, may that challenging and convicting voice speak to us this morning in ways that only you know. Pour your Holy Spirit on these words now and on all of us. Everybody said together, Amen. We're starting in 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus himself appeared again to his disciples, the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Simon Peter and Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. They set out in a boat, but throughout the night they caught nothing. I'm going fishing. Peter exclaimed these words as he headed back to fill the emptiness in his life with the familiar. Back to the water, back to the shore, to the Sea of Galilee. And half the disciples dutifully followed him. Once again, Peter led the way even in his wandering. If the leader wanted to fish, the disciples wanted to join him. And even though Jesus had already appeared to them twice, When they were staying in Jerusalem, the disciples were still confused, bewildered, unsettled. When Jesus wasn't right there with them, it still just didn't seem real. Peter in particular was in a free fall. He was in a deep funk. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Do you feel the effects of all of this? And it's created this deep funk in you. Peter had assured Jesus he had his back. And instead he stabbed his Lord in the back three times. Jesus obviously knew what Peter had done. But he hadn't mentioned the cursing or the denying in his upper room appearances. Not yet. But would he? Could Peter ever be trusted by Jesus again? Feeling inadequate and embarrassed and doubting whether he had in him to be a disciple anymore, Peter ran away. That's what we do when things get tough, some of us. We run away. 
We don't want to face it. We don't want to deal with it. He ran away from his denials and his betrayals. He ran back to what he knew best. Back to what he did in his former life. What Peter didn't yet quite get is something we all have to remember. That God doesn't turn God's back on us. Amen? That God doesn't turn God's back on us. It is we who, for whatever reason, turn our backs or don't turn back to God. No matter how much grace God turns our way and turns our way. Did you know the word for repent literally means to turn around? That's all it means. To turn around and go in a different direction. So at night, the seven disciples cast their nets, not to catch the hungry, as Jesus had commissioned them to do, but to catch fish to sell to the hungry. See, fishermen fished when it was dark so they could sell the fish fresh in the morning at the market. And so at least they were good at fishing. Not anymore. Because these fishing disciples found out they couldn't go back. Their former life no longer existed. They couldn't go back and they they couldn't go forward. They were stuck and their nets were empty and they were empty. So this time, when Jesus appears, he's going to need to speak to them with not one voice, three different voices wrapped all together. An obey me voice, say obey me voice at home. A hosting voice, say hosting voice. And a do over voice, say a do over voice. First is the obey me voice. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called to them children. See, it was daybreak again. The disciples saw a stranger on the shore. And the figure in the distance addressed them as friends, as children, which was an endearing term but one that had authority. And once again, Jesus greeted them with a question. Children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, no. You didn't catch anything, did you? The disciples had to admit failure. And the voice told them to give it one more chance. Sometimes failure just needs that one more chance chance to not give up and he said cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some thinking the stranger had an elevated view of the water without asking for any further clarification they took a recommendation and they cast their nets to the right side of the boat so they did and there were so many fish they couldn't haul in the net Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself, for he was naked, and jumped into the water. John recognized Jesus first. 
Didn't the same thing happen at the tomb when they came together? Peter trusted that John was right. He put on some clothes, thank goodness, jumped into the sea and swam to shore. Without making some really bad sermon snafus, you can find online if you search in your off time. Peter was stripped for work under his fisherman's tunic to be able to move into the water. Now it's interesting that though Peter couldn't wait to see Jesus, he also couldn't be vulnerable, naked. What was his standing with Jesus? He wasn't sure. You see, Peter was still hiding from Jesus because of his broken relationship. Don't we all do that? Maybe you're doing it right now. You're hiding from Jesus because you're not in a good place with him, with others. So you just try to hide. You don't pray so that way he doesn't know you're kind of, you know, not in tune. You don't want to hear something. You don't read your Bible. Don't speak about him much because of that broken relationship and pretend that it's okay. So as Peter swam to Jesus, the other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it. And some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And when they landed, they found Jesus cooking breakfast. One of the two meals that first century Jews were sure to eat every day, I found out. So Jesus invited his friends to come eat some bread and add some of their own fish with him as he cooked around a fire. Charcoal of coals, it says. That'll be very important later. In verse 11, Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet the net had not torn even with so many fish. They pulled in 153 fish. Say 153 at home. A perfect catch. One-third to the boat, one-third to the fishermen, and one-third to the owners of the net. What significance? Number of fish? That's what I'm always asked. What does that mean? What is it? You can look it up. You can search for it. Who cares? No, that's not true. True fishermen care what they catch. And if John, a Jew and a fisherman by trade, counted the fish in a Jewish manner, which is called gematria, there's actually a number. And the number stands for something. The number 153 stands for and becomes, I am the Lord thy God. What? That's crazy. Did you know that before? And in Jesus' day, 153 was also the number of the sum of diversity in the Sea of Galilee. 
and a symbol of the abundance and universality that comes with Jesus. There's a lot of meaning in that perfect catch. And you know that catch happens because of Jesus' voice. And it's because of Jesus' voice you can know it when you're being stretched to reach out to those you don't want to. That's the diversity of the catch. All kinds of fish in that thing. Or wish you didn't have to. Or go in directions you don't wish to go. That's Jesus' voice talking to you. Jesus is always moving beyond himself. Always seeing the best in others. Every word Jesus speaks creates these tremors of truth in our ears and resonates. And it reminds us of these things, all fill in the blanks in your you version. God created you uniquely. Jesus loves you unconditionally, forgives you unreservedly, empowers you unbelievably, enfolds you unwaveringly, and calls you unpredictably. The disciples' nets should have ripped. But it was another seamless garment that couldn't be torn apart. Jesus gives all of us a bigger mission than we can handle. A challenge that will always exceed our abilities and even our ambitions. What yielded a huge catch of fish? One word. Start with an O. Obedience. Obedience. Obedience bears fruit. Obedience issues recognition. You see, once you're open to new possibilities, once you realize that your way is not the only way, that you can drop your nets and throw them in a different direction than the one that you're used to, once you hear God's word in a different way, the sky's the limit. Those are all things we'll have to do in the days to come. We will have to throw our nets in a different direction than we're used to. And in the missionary task of fishing on your own, you fail. But with Jesus, your catch is an overload. Although the disciples are overloaded with confusion, Jesus overloads them with blessing. And we know that when we look at the verses, and because after they obeyed, they see Jesus. Because when they obey, then John says, it is the Lord. Obeying comes first. So then Jesus comes in his hosting voice. Make sure you're live at home. Say hosting voice. Good job. The crowd in here is alive too. That is awesome. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. That's what you're all doing right now. Having breakfast. Jesus was purposely recreating the setting. Even the exact charcoal fire of Peter's denial. Because the word is only used here, and when Peter denied himself around the fire earlier, charcoal is the word fire, only used these two places in all of the scripture. 
And Peter's restoration was done before all the disciples, or at least seven of them. So there could be no question of Jesus' forgiveness. They, would, of course, would tell the others. It was Peter whom Jesus sent back to get more fish, to add to what he was already cooking. You see, Peter must participate in the hall. He has to be a part of that. And more than that, be the one who brings the fish to the fire. You see, to find forgiveness. Because Peter had gone back to what he knows best, just fishing. Not fishing for people. But when Jesus spoke and welcomed all of them back to what they knew best together, fishing for and feeding people. Because that's what Peter was called to do. That's what we're all called to do. To fish for people. And Peter needed to hear that. He needed to know that. Now there are many ways of serving Jesus. One is to cast yourself into the sea and hurtle headlong into the future as Peter did. Hopefully clothed. Another way is to stay in the boat. Bring the fish to shore as the disciples did. Another way is to cook the food or serve the tables. That's what we've been doing. People are like going, wow, look at you guys out there bringing food to everybody and dinner drop off. And some of my people, friends are like going, oh my gosh, you're making me look bad. I'm like, it's not about us. I don't cook. Susan does. I'm just the driver. The point is, we found our something. Here's the problem. Some of us aren't finding our something. We're just sitting around our house going, I can't do anything, so we don't do anything. That's not an option. All of us are called to find our something. They'll all look very different, and no one is better than another. You can attend the fishing party with prayers and devotions from the home front. If that's what you can do, then that is amazing. Pray for us. We're tired. We're weak. We need strength. People were praying last Sunday when the, everything went haywire at the beginning. They said, we're praying you don't say anything bad on the camera. And I didn't say anything bad on the camera. I think it was because of the prayers. But no one is better. We each hear the same voice, but we're assigned a different mission. But find your mission. Because God has one for you. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then, the story's not over. Then, finally, Jesus spoke in his do-over voice. And when they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of John, Susan Squires, go to my office. My bookcase on the left-hand side is a giant pink eraser. You know what it is. Okay. And as they were eating, Jesus addressed Peter directly. Now, when Jesus first met Peter... He called him Simon, son of Jonah. Say Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus then nicknamed him Cephas or Petros or Peter. Say Peter. That's probably the easiest one for you. Say Peter. 
Thank you. Very good. Oh, thanks. Now, Jesus addressed him, if you ever noticed this, as Simon, son of John. Say Simon, son of John. This was the name he had when he was first called. So why did Jesus revert back to Peter's formal, former, formal name? Because Jesus is giving Peter's calling and calling out a do-over. Starting again, just like the beginning when they started the walk and the journey together. You know a do-over. Do-over is that time when you get to start over. You know, it's a mulligan. It's a chance to be able to do something new, something refreshed. Do you need a do-over in your life right now? Well, guess what? God has given you one. Your life is never going to be the same and isn't the same now. You have a chance to do it all over, to change things and reorder your life in a whole different way. Do you need a really big eraser to erase all your mistakes? For really big mistakes, what my eraser says. I have this on my shelf all the time to remind me we all need a big eraser sometime to erase those big mistakes. And so it's around a fire that Jesus gives him this really big eraser. Now Peter betrayed Jesus how many times? That was weak in the congregation, but at home I'm sure you were much better. Three. Number after one and before Four, it's in there. And around this fire by the sea, Peter had how many questions asked to him? Three. To undo before Jesus could bring him back. Now you see, in Near Eastern culture and custom, no contract was taken seriously unless it had been reiterated how many times, you think? Three. What nice from the corner. Nicely done. Three times before witnesses. But it wasn't like any other contract. Because the litmus test here was the litmus test of love. And Jesus was forcing Peter to come to terms with his past. To not block the enormity of his betrayal or the truth of who he was. Peter had to pass through his woundedness to be called back into a renewed relationship with Jesus. You see, because here's the thing. Peter was too strong to follow Jesus. That seems weird. We like strength in our world. But Peter was too strong to follow Jesus. You see, because we, we track the mind of God in the footsteps of Jesus. But we touch the Father's hearts. Father's heart in the wounds of the Son. Let me say that again. We track the mind of God in the footsteps of Jesus, but we touch the Father's heart in the wounds of the Son, Leonard Sweet says. You see, the wounded Christ was opening up a festering wound. It was forcing Peter to face his woundedness so he no longer had to live there. 
but could find his home in the wounds and the weakness of love. You can't wait till your wounds heal to be able to reach out to Christ. You come with the wounds that you have and they begin to heal. Do you love me more than these? Simon replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. What are the more than these in Jesus' question? Are the more than these more than these fish? More than your profession? More than your making a living? Right now, we're finding all kinds of things out there that we find that weren't as important as they were before. Or maybe more than these could also mean, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Or do you love the shepherd more than the flock? Once again, Jesus began their conversation with a question. Do you agape me? You know agape. Agape is the form of love. It's the highest love. That's the word love that Jesus uses. In other words, do you love me sacrificially? Unconditionally? Do you love me as God loves? And Peter, at least to his credit, responded honestly. I filio you. In other words, I will always be your friend. It's not the same. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs or tend my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. See, the word tend here is the word used for feeding large flocks of young animals in all kinds of pasture. So then Jesus tried again with, do you agape me? And Peter responds with the profession of faith the same way. I am your friend, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. The word used this time, feed here, Feed my sheep in other translations means to shepherd flocks of sheep. Not mature ones, but now ones that are grown. And nurturing all the sheep, both Jew and Gentile, and doing it with a personal touch, Jesus is expanding the boundaries. Jesus then gives Peter one last try. But this time, Jesus humbled himself to bless Peter's best and, ad- Peter's best and adopted Peter's highest word for love, filio. The last time Jesus says it is not agape. It's filio. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, Peter was upset that Jesus had asked a third time. But here's the thing. Jesus was even sadder that Peter could only friend him like he's on Facebook or something. It is Jesus who has the right to call us friends. It's not we who have the right to call Jesus friend. We get a little too close, a little too familiar. That's not our right. But Jesus was telling his disciples to care of the sheep through all the seasons of their life now this last statement from young all the way to old age. It was always dangerous to have a conversation with Peter for whom speaking was his mode of thinking. Anybody else out there like that? 
You speak before you think. So if Peter would not get lost in the midst of his own hot air, Jesus organized their conversation around three missional directives conveyed in these carefully chosen metaphors. Jesus chose his metaphors carefully for him. And these metaphors would shape his and the disciples' ministry. Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. Did you notice how Jesus defined ministry with verbs, not nouns? Jesus' voice reminds us whose flock it is. Not ours, but his. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my flock. Several years ago, we visited the Great Lakes, and we've been in Michigan twice doing different things, but we were able to go all the way up and and into the Upper Peninsula, the UP. And there, there is a great shipwreck museum, Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum there. And right off the coast of that museum, Whitefish Point, is the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Now, if you don't know the Edmund Fitzgerald or anything about it, then I'm going to expose you to Gordon Lightfoot and to the famous song from the 70s that you either remember or don't know. And you can click the link and watch that at your leisure, or I'll make you sing it all day anyways, because now you are singing it. Right? Now you're singing the whole thing. Now you'll look it all up. But when you're down there... What you realize there are over 5,000 wrecks in the Great Lakes that lie undisturbed and down deep, like the Edmund Fitzgerald, this tanker that went down in November. Big ship. You see, every life has wreckage, some lying right below the surface, some way, way, way far down. We're all wounded. We are all wounded at different places and different depths in our life. But only we know. And one of the things I say often is that Christ is at his strongest when we are at our weakest. Christ is at his strongest when we are at our weakest. And so the more aware we become of our limitations and our lackings like Peter the more we're able to hear that final voice that kind of wraps it all together. That forgiving voice of Jesus. It becomes the loudest voice in our lives. Can you hear Jesus' forgiving voice above all else in your life? Because that's what he wants you to hear. To know forgiveness to know that new start, to know that as many times as you need it, He's there to forgive you. If it's three times or ten times or 77 times, He's there to bring forgiveness, just like He brought it to Peter. So if you're looking today for that kind of forgiveness, I encourage you to search your soul and your heart, to pray there, right there at your table or on your couch or wherever you might be outside or whatever it is, wherever you're watching. Invite that forgiveness into your life. Give the thing that holds you back the most 
you don't think that Jesus would ever be able to take from you or would ever forgive you for. Let him have it. Let him have your whole life and all that you are. Let him speak that forgiving voice into your life this morning. Amen. As we receive the invitation of Jesus at the same time, we also receive the invitation of the protection of the prayer, Psalm 91, for 91 days. I'm so interested to be able to see how this is going to translate. I know we're, we just slog through the middle of it, but what happens when July 12th comes? What's it going to be like? Will they have things changed? Things are changing all the time. What will we see? If we're faithful and we continue to keep praying even when we don't believe sometimes or when we struggle. But this prayer is a great way to challenge us to keep thinking, keep praying. Let's pray it together once again. Lord, thank you for the rest that comes when I choose to live in your shelter. I declare you alone are my refuge, my place of safety. You alone are my God. I trust in you. I pray you will protect me and my family from the virus. I pray you will cover me and shelter me. I thank you for your faithful promises that remind you will protect me. Help me not to be afraid of all that I hear and all that I see. Help me not to dread the virus that is terrorizing our world. Lord, many are sick and more are fearful and anxious. I pray protection for me, my family, my church, my community, my city, my state, my country, my continent, my world. I pray, Lord, as I make you my refuge, that no evil will conquer us nor come near our home. I pray for protection by your angels wherever I go. Lord, I love you. I trust in you. Please rescue and protect me. Thank you for answering when I call. Thank you for being with me in trouble. Thank you for salvation and the hope of heaven. And everybody said together, Amen. So now I just want you to sit in the presence of God as we light some of the other candles around. This praise team sings, My heart is yours. May that be our prayer right now, that our heart would be yours. So just rest. Let him speak into your life now.
of encouragement this morning are actually going to come from Dr. Louise Griffith and one of the members of her class. You didn't know that Louise, Mark's wife, is a doctor. She is. And uh, she had her students did a video called Barnyard Church. So we're going to watch that here in... No, we're not going to watch that. Yes, we are going to watch that. Then don't give me conflicting signs. <laughs> Remember the survey. Please, Please, please. I will beg. Watch Barnyard Church. And in the Bible, it says to trust in the Lord your God. But it also says to fear God. Now this does not mean to be scared of God, but this means to fear Him like you would a parent that will correct you if you do something that is wrong. Do you think God is trying to get us to return to Him? Yes, I think He can use this illness to show us that we must always rely on Him. Okay, so what should we do? How can we stay home and still follow God? Stay home and use the resources you have there to follow the Lord. And join us online at Barnyard Church. Okay, thank you. I know what to do now. Yes, thank you. Now, Miss Hen, will you please lead us in prayer? Please join me in prayer. Thank you for never giving up on us. Please help us and the world follow you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Now receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forever. Amen. so bad in here they can't keep themselves together i hope you're laughing at home this is a fifth grader in miss louise's class I love it. who has brought her something to all of us this morning joy and laughter and creativity don't forget it you can find your something too and you can share it with me too you might just be able to see it and so now may you shelter not only in place but in peace and may the peace and comfort of Christ be with you now and always and forever. Smile. We're going to get through this together. Amen.